This is Peripatetic Podcast, episode two. This is take two. I tried recording earlier, but it was really windy where I was, so here's trying again. This is going to be a two-part episode. Uh, I'm currently in Tulum. It's a Friday, so I'll record a little bit more on Sunday when I actually publish this. But um, yeah, a little bit of updates. The podcast is now on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Pandora. So you don't need to listen to it on the Buzzsprout website anymore. It's now available on all of the apps. And I haven't been able to check it on all the apps. So if you're listening on any of those and you can't find them, please let me know if it's not on your favorite podcast player. So, what I'm going to cover today is an incident I had with the scooter. Last week I I talked about how it was like the greatest deal ever, 20 bucks, but uh, something happened with that. And then I'm going to tell you about how I broke my tooth on a ceramic Jesus. I'm going to tell you about how I got sick. I'm going to tell you about my adventures in Tulum. I'm going to tell you about one of the highlights of my day, which is the nightly dinners at the hostel, and I'm going to give you a fun fact at the end. So with the scooter, last episode I was talking about, you know, $20, awesome deal, full tank of gas, helmet, got it dropped off, all that, and that was all true, but I did something wrong. I broke part of it. So there was, you put the key in the ignition, and then if you turned it clockwise it would start it if you turn it counterclockwise it would unlock the helmet thing i didn't understand how to work the helmet part of it the helmet unlocking mechanism and so i was trying to force it and i actually broke that mechanism and the guy wanted three hundred dollars for it but it was just like a simple hinge and uh the the pan that the helmet sat in and he had to replace the whole thing so, anyways, I ended up paying him, and it all got worked out. It was my fault. It was really stupid of me, but, you know, these things happen, and I'm not going to... I could have fought him on it. I could have tried to do something else, but at the end of the day, it was my fault, and I'm going to take responsibility, so... It sucks, but basically my $20 rental turned out to be $220. So, breaking my tooth on Mexican, or breaking my tooth on Ceramic Jesus. There's a holiday called Rosca de Reyes. Happens 12 days after Christmas. And so January 6th. And essentially you celebrate, you get together the family or the office or friends or whatever whatever group and my hostel did it they set out they celebrated this by setting out a sweet cake which is a big oval shape and um there's a ceramic jesus ceramic or plastic baby jesus hidden somewhere in the cake and a wise man and so i was chewing my cake and i hit something really hard and i chipped my tooth just a little bit my front tooth and i I thought it was like a candy or something. I didn't know the backstory of it, but anyways, I had found the the Jesus, and so 
the tradition is that whoever finds it pays for the party. And we weren't we weren't playing by the rules, but had we been, I would have paid for the the cake and all of the other treats for the day for the party. Um, so I got a bit sick this week. Not everything is good while traveling, you know. I got a bit of a cold, and on top of that, I got middle ear barrow trauma from diving. It's uh, something that's pretty common and not not serious it's just a buildup of fluid that happens in the ears and it comes from the pressure that the eardrum is put under while diving and it happens most commonly between three and six feet of depth because that's where the most sudden change in pressure happens beyond that it's more gradual you're still increasing pressure but it's a it's a more gradual change compared to sea level versus six feet under. So it basically feels like my ears haven't equalized yet. Like I have water in my right ear and everything's sort of muted. And it's really frustrating, but again, it's something that goes away within a few days. So hopefully by tomorrow it'll be cleared up. It's been three days already three days of no diving which is why I'm in Tulum today because I left Cozumel via ferry to come over to the mainland and explore around here a little bit so what else um, yeah Tulum so after I got off the ferry <coughs> in Playa del Carmen I took a bus down to Tulum cost about four US dollars I hopped off and the Tulum ruins are way better than San Gervasio that I talked about in the last episode. It's way bigger. It was only about $4 to enter and my whole expenses walking around there was $4 versus San Gervasio I spent about $25. It was like what was it, like $6 to enter and then about $20 to get a guide and, and walk around. So I highly recommend Tulum over San Gervasio. And you, you actually have intact structures. So it's like, it's open. You got the intact wall and intact, like the old temple, the old houses, all that kind of stuff in Tulum versus San Gervasio. It's just some rocks and they can just sort of speculate about what was there but anyways from there I took the Collectivos down to the city of Tulum the Collectivos is like a shuttle it's like a 15 passenger van and you just hop in you ride as far as you need to go and then you get out pay 20 pesos like one dollar and uh, takes you where you need to go so one of the highlights of my week has been these nightly dinners that we do at the hostel with some of my buddies that are in the program here. The Namibian guy that I previously mentioned and Argentinian guy who's my roommate. And every night we just cook together and it's been a lot of fun. Just going to the little market, buying the ingredients that we need, meat, vegetables, rice or beans, quinoa, whatever, whatever we're gonna make that night. And then just cooking, eating together, 
and usually our dinners have been really late by my standards, like 9 to 11 p.m. But it's been a lot of fun just making dinner and relaxing at night. So my fun fact for you is that Yucatan, so Yucatan is this whole peninsula, this whole southern part of Mexico that was inhabited by the Mayans. And Yucatan is a Mayan word for we don't understand you. Because when the Spanish arrived over 500 years ago, they asked the Mayans, what do you call this place? What do you call your land? And of course they said that in Spanish. So the, the Mayans responded, Yucatan, which means we don't understand you. <laughs> so sort of a, a fun fact about this area. So that's it for now. Um, again, this will be a two-parter. I'll add a little more information on Sunday when I'm about to publish this. But that is my update from Tulum. Done for now. And I'm back. This time from Valladolid, Mexico. I don't know how you say it. V-A-L-L. A-D-O-L-I-D I'm not even sure if I spelled that right just now but Valladolid I believe is how you say it it's about northwest of Tulum where I was it's about an hour and a half bus ride and I'm currently sitting in this beautiful Spanish square on these really cool concrete seats that are like, I don't know what to call them other than love seats. It's like, they face opposite directions, but they're connected so that the left arm of one is the left arm of the other. So if somebody was sitting in the other one, you'd be making eye contact with them just by glancing to your left. And they're surprisingly comfortable, very heavy, sturdy, concrete seats, but I really like them. If I ever own a house, I would put this in the backyard. But um, yeah, I'm looking at the wolf moon right now, which I didn't even know what that was until a few minutes ago. A wolf moon is what you call the first moon of the year, first full moon of the year. And it's really cool. It's a really nice scene right now. There's a lot of people out. It's like 11 at night. Actually, it's 10. I went back a time zone. It's 10 at night. There's a fountain to my right. There's some really cool Spanish old buildings around me. Some music playing. There's little vendors, food carts all around. And it's, uh, it's a nice night. So I'm going to end it here and report back tomorrow. Done for now. Sunday morning, January 12th, right before I release this, back at the hostel, back at Cozumel. So, going to give you a few final thoughts. I went yesterday, in my last moments, in Valladolid, that's how you say it, by the way, Valladolid, and went to the cenote, there's a cenote zaki, it's called, and it's right in the middle of the town there. It's awesome. I was like, my hostel was like, three minutes from the bus stop and then the the cenote was about three minutes beyond that the cenotes are these big cave systems 
that form as the limestone pushes out of the ground. So as the limestone forms over hundreds and thousands of years, the there's these pockets of air that that remain and they lead to these caves. And then those caves fill with water from rain and and ground spring systems that push up through the limestone. They get filtered out so they're crystal clear. And this one in particular that I went to was huge, this huge cavernous one. And there's little catfish in it. And I, I got there right when they opened, so I was the first one in the water for the day. And it was just beautiful. And it was like 30 pesos, so like two bucks to get in. And I just stayed there for about two hours and then left, went about my day, and then came back late in the afternoon when it was really hot. Still had my bracelet. So it was just absolutely awesome. And those, there's probably at least dozens, probably hundreds or thousands of tourist accessible cenotes in this area in the Yucatan. And I would come back just for those because you can dive those, you can snorkel them, you can just relax on a hot day. So down the road, I would 100% take a trip to the Yucatan just to do a cenote tour. And there's always been something fascinating for me about caves. Like, I'd rather be in a cave or exploring a cave than hiking a mountain or doing a lot of outdoor activities that people enjoy. So they're just really interesting and, and beautiful. And also this was my first trip where, first trip of this trip, Mexico trip, where I was by myself for any extended period of time. My trip was, I don't know, almost 48 hours. And because before I've been surrounded by people at the hostel, meeting people, my established friends, the staff, but this time I was on my own. I even, I didn't even stay in a hostel actually. It was a, a private room in a hostel-like Airbnb, but that's all to say. I was, for all intents and purposes, alone, and it gave me a lot of time to think, and also it, it's really lonely traveling alone. That's one of the huge downsides. There's, there's giant pros and giant cons of traveling alone. The con being that every experience is yours alone. There's no one to share it with. And that can be really lonely. And it can be really... It can make the whole thing not worth it if you don't have someone there with you to take in the moment with and talk about it and laugh about it later and things like that. But on the other hand you get yourself into some weird situations and you meet people that you otherwise wouldn't if you're with somebody. If I was traveling with a friend, I'd be talking with my friend at the restaurant. But if I'm traveling by myself, I see another traveler next to me, I'm a lot more likely to be forced out of sheer boredom and loneliness to go talk to that person. So it forces you into situations and things that you wouldn't otherwise do. And also you can do a lot more. If you want to go to a certain restaurant, you just go. There's no debate, there's no taking a poll. So you, you move quicker, you can see the things that you absolutely want to see, and you can force yourself into certain situations that you otherwise wouldn't. So, I mean, there, there's, it's a double-edged sword. 
it's a good thing and it can be a really lonely thing but I don't know I'm less inclined now to do a long solo trip than I was when I was 23 years old because back then that was like that was the perfect thing to do I absolutely loved it but anyways everyone's got their different style and they each have their own place in different different times different phases of life so one of the things I was thinking about is the motivation that underlines all recreational long-term budget I'll say difficult travel for lack of other terms because you can always pay your way into a nice vacation you can take a cruise ship you can stay in hotels you could I mean the possibilities are unlimited you could take a private jet you could have everything set up for you You could have your meals cooked of course there's endless amounts of luxury but to me to take a long-term extended budget travel what is the purpose and to me it's to be better at life and it does this in a few ways it well first of all what underlies all travel to me it seems like it's a bit of discontent regardless of who you are or where you're from or anything else there's something and not in like a big psychological discontent way but just something simple like you live in Seattle so you want to go to Mexico because it's sunny or you live in Mexico and you're tired of the heat so you go to Canada or maybe you're tired of your routine so you just want to escape and go down to Europe for a while I don't know whatever it is it's some level of discontent so to me one of the big lessons of traveling is learning what you like and dislike because you try new things and you either figure out for example I tried tacos with brain meat the other day found out I don't like that I don't like brain meat it was very bland and soft it was a very light texture it's sort of like tuna I like could just just sort of flavorless and sort of light but you also find things you like because you try some crazy local dish that you've never heard of before you get introduced to some new spice some new way of preparing meat and then you add something to your repertoire of things you like or the cool chairs I talked about earlier I like those I could I'm gonna add that to my list of things that I will someday add if I were to ever own a home and another thing about travel is you learn in a much deeper way you can read about the Mayan ruins but like actually going there walking around Tulum seeing the structures seeing how big they were seeing how big the entire town was and just reading the plaques around like you know so-and-so lived here the king lived here the peasants lived on the outskirts there and you learn about it in a much deeper way and that's that's not a very good example I guess a good way from a good example for me is geography I can I can look at a map I can know where Mexico is but 
I can know where some of the major cities are, I know where Mexico City is, but being down here and taking buses between Playa del Carmen and uh, Tulum and Valladolid, I'm really getting to learn the geography in a much better, more practical way than I would by just looking at Google Maps or studying a, a traditional map. So there's sort of like the academic way of learning or there's like the hands-on way of learning and travel is obviously the latter. And then if you tell me that you've traveled on a, a budget for an extended period of time, I know something about you. If you tell me you've been to South America or Southeast Asia or even Europe, even you know traveling, backpacking in Europe, I know that you're adaptable. I know that you're able to overcome problems, that you're able to roll with the punches, probably take a step back from the comfort and luxury that you're used to in your normal life, step off the hedonic treadmill of you know, constantly increasing your, your comfort by staying in a hostel, by sleeping on a hammock for a night, by maybe not sleeping at all. and. It tells me that you're able to overcome problems as they arise or communicate with people that you can't communicate with. It's like you don't speak the language, so you're trying to use hand and arm signals or Google Translate or pointing, and it just works. You just figure out your problem solver. So that's, that's something cool that comes out of travel is you really get stuck in situations that you don't understand because you can't speak the language or some cultural difference and it leaves you having to figure out what to do. So it tells me that you're adaptable if, if you've done something like that. And travel that takes on voluntary difficulty and discomfort, it builds character in a way that being at home cannot. So, right after that last thought, it started just dumping rain, so I ran inside real quick, and uh, I'm actually going to leave it there. I'm going to end this long rambling rant, but it's a, it's a philosophy that I'll, I'll tighten up and make mo more coherent over time. But thank you for listening, and uh, I'll have more next week. Done.